Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else. Please note this episode contains some emotional content, including discussion around child sexual abuse and may not be suitable for all listeners. If making a mistake means they get such rage from you, I wonder how your children are going to be able to make mistakes and learn from them. I don't know. I feel like I can't control it. Hello and thank you so much for choosing How Did We Get Here, the podcast where me, Claudia Winkleman, and my fantastic friend, clinical psychologist, Professor Tanya Byron, look at some of the difficulties that people face either themselves or with those closest to them. Tanya talks to people in one-to-one sessions whilst I'm listening in from another room. In the break and at the end, I asked Tanya a bit about her process and we explore the issues that are raised. This time, we meet Julie, who is married and has a son who is seven and a 10-year-old daughter who challenges her regularly. Julie is worried that the difficulties she has now with her daughter will be amplified when the teen years approach. She discovers that events in the past have served as a trigger. I wanted to smash him in the face with a bottle. I was just like, and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't say anything because obviously nobody else knows about what happened. And he's not had a hard life. Like nothing has happened to him. Let's go and meet Julie. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Julie, thank you so much for coming in. Why are you here? I want to make some changes at home. And I'm just not quite sure where to begin. Describe home. So I've got a seven-year-old boy and a 10-year-old, nearly 11-year-old daughter. And the easiest way to describe it is probably tense, oh. I would say. Who gets angry? You mentioned flare-ups. Do you and your husband get angry? No, no, he is the most laid-back man on the planet, which Aww. is just a godsend. I will tend to pootle along fairly level, but then a button is pressed and it's kind of death confine. <laughs> no, I'm the baddie in my house as yeah, well and, because my husband is horizontal. I mean, it's impossible to make him grumpy. Tell me good. about the little puffins. They're not actual puffins, humans. No, but that would be nice if they were puffins. My eldest Sarah. is nearly 11. Since she was born, she was always defiant and full of determination. If she was going to do something, she was going to do it. I think at the moment it's fairly unpleasant most days. So it's endless battles yeah. over quite small things. Yeah. And we're not people who just let them get away with things. I would yes. say you know, there have always been boundaries and rules and even things like, you know, it's coming up to bedtime and she'll say, oh, actually, I want to go outside on my scooter. Well, that's a solid no. That's a solid no. And she, her answer, I'm going anyway. Open the front door, <gasps> out she goes. And then the youngest one, who is the opposite, he's afraid of his own shadow, he seems to now be copying her behaviour and that also frightens me because I think I can't handle it with two of you just... Yeah, but also he's learned if you open the front door at 7.30 and get on a scooter, you get all of mummy. 
Yeah. But something needs to change. It's so difficult, isn't it? I'm so pleased you're here. Thank Thank you. you. And uh, Tanya will come in and I'll talk to you at the end. Is that all right? That's lovely. Thank you. Do you always work at this speed? What speed? You're fast. You're fast. Am I fast? Yeah. Uh, Yes, I do. If you ask my kids what phrase I say most often, it's let's just crack on. Life moves at a pace. Yeah. Sometimes maybe a frenetic pace. Yeah. I've worked from home since my youngest was one. I've become very good at just going, right, okay, it's down tools at half past five, six o'clock, whatever it is. But it sounds busy. It is busy and they are both very active kids. And so prior to lockdown, every night of the week, we were either going to football practice or we're going to a... So when do you get any time for you? Oh, there are none. It's making you tearful. It does, because I just... I'm so tired of it. You're tired. You feel like you're running on fumes and you're exhausted. Because my daughter will even say to me, it's always what you want, Mummy. And I think, are you joking me? It's never what I want. What do you want? Every single birthday and Mother's Day, they say, oh, what what present would you like, Mummy? And every single time I say, I just want us all to get on. But it's upsetting you because this isn't how you imagined it was going to be. No. And to be fair, it's not been how I imagined it was going to be since the day she was born. Tell me why. She was beautiful and healthy and I had everything to be grateful for. And yet, the 18 months that followed, I felt like I was dying. Gosh. She wouldn't sleep. Just everything was a battle. Do you think you were struggling with depression, postnatal depression? Absolutely, yeah. I think in retrospect, I just should have gone to the doctor's. I didn't want to admit that I was a failure. I felt, you know, I would repeat, I should be able to do this. It sounds to me like you were able to do it. It was just hard. I just, everything I do, I want to do it perfectly. I did talk to a counsellor. She said, you know, what you need to understand is this was almost bound to happen because you've kind of gone through school and you've not found it too difficult. You've achieved well, you've got a decent job and you've been in control of it all. Mm. And now you're way out of control. So something about control for you. Yeah, massively. You said something earlier. You said... And I thought to myself, you faced harder than this, you should be able to do this. Mm. Is there something specific that you're... You know, I've been bullied at school and my parents had a bit of a strange, volatile relationship that would kind of be up and down. And and I think as a middle child and only daughter, I always seemed to play the role of smoothing all that over. When I was kind of 10 or 11... I'd sort of had a period of sexual abuse. I got cancer at 23, was given a one in four chance of dying, came through that. Okay, like kind of, I just think, how much more? Gosh, you're full up with it, aren't you? (laughs) Sorry. Please don't apologise. You're talking about a childhood with parents where the relationship was volatile. So presumably you were quite a vigilant child, kind of on red alert for when voices would be raised, tempers would flare. You're nodding, so I think I'm describing that. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on. In that whole period, I'd actually developed um, petty mal epilepsy as well. It was stressful, but my parents knew none of it. They still didn't know anything about the abuse because I'm not going to add that on to everything else for them to deal with. As much as you want to say, and that can include nothing, what were the circumstances of the abuse? Basically, whenever my parents were out of the house, my older brother would just go, come on, come into my bedroom let's do this, let's do that. And I just I just get kind of snapshot memories 
and feelings of like rising by, like not wanting to do things, but not feeling able to say, I don't want to. And if I'd say, mm, I don't think I want to, he'd go, oh, you're a chicken, you're a chicken. And how old were you? Ten. And how old was he? Uh, three years older. And your daughter, who you're struggling with, is how old now? Ten. Right. I just, I want everything to be perfect for my kids. I don't want them to go through what I went through. And when I was saying to Claudia that I just feel like there's bursts of temper because I get to a point where I just think, do you know how much worse your life could be? So what does that tell you about your reaction to them in those moments? It's about me. I know I need to turn it around, but I don't know how to. I do. So we're okay. We just, got to, we just got to talk a little bit more. Okay. We just kind of, we clash. And I think because of the fact that I am vigilant, I don't, I don't miss anything. Does she get told it when you see it? Yeah. What I won't have is lies. And I say this to them all the time, you know, I'll take anything, but don't lie to me. And she lies like it's breathing. Right. What sorts of things does she lie about? Um, we were in town and in this little boutique shop. And she said, oh, look at that. And it was just like a little blob of metal with an embossed bumblebee on it. I think they're a pound each, two pounds each. She didn't say she particularly liked it. Anyway, we get outside the shop and my mum was with us and she went to hold my daughter's hand and she drew her hand away. And I said, what's in your hand? And she said, nothing. I said, well, I think there is, so you better show me. And she opened her hand and she'd stolen it. Don't you think children do that sometimes? Not my child. I was so furious. And even to think about it now... You I'm look just... absolutely furious. Can I ask you a question? Because mm. you use the word perfect a lot. You are so hugely deficit-focused. And if making a mistake means they get such rage from you, I wonder how your children are going to be able to make mistakes and learn from them. I don't know. But I feel like I can't control it. I'd just like to pause the tape as I have a question. I've written down deficit focus, which I, I hadn't heard you use that phrase before. What does that mean? It's about where is your focus? Are you, do you focus on strengths or do you focus on deficits? And the deficit focus is interesting because it's often something that people who have high levels of perfectionism will often struggle with. It's that sense of almost never being able to be satisfied with how things are because there's always something that could be better and that's what you notice but that for me links back to the hypervigilant child with parents who were obviously in high levels of conflict with all the other stuff that she's described from her childhood being sexually abused being bullied you get a sense of these hypervigilant children just sort of thinking okay, what's going wrong? What could go wrong? What will go wrong? And, and that's sort of how she looks at Sarah, her daughter. That just speaks to high, high, high levels of anxiety, which then lead to a sort of catastrophic interpretation of a sort of normal child behaviour, you know, taking something from a shop. Stuff that kids do, and it's part of our journey with them to sort of help them learn the boundaries of behaviour and self-regulation in terms of their own behaviour and their own emotion. But deficit focus is unhelpful because it means you miss what's good and you're constantly pointing out what's bad, which only creates a dynamic of conflict and, and unhappiness. Yeah, and disappointment. Exactly. OK, thank you for explaining that. Back to the session. 
and I do get cross. It's like a switch and it just goes so quick before I get a chance to pull it back. I think that's from issues that you had dealt with from a very young child where you felt out of control. You must have felt very, very frightened and wondering when the next thing was going to come along that was going to be very hard and very upsetting, but you couldn't manage, you couldn't control, you couldn't make better. You couldn't tell your parents what was going on with your brother, so you just had to put up with it until it stopped. Pretty much, yeah. Have you and your brother talked about it since? No, he, I think, pretends it didn't happen. And we might see each other at Christmas or or whatever a family do, but I don't go out of my way to seek him out. You know, like last Christmas, we got together and we kind of, we had this kind of drinks thing with my brother, my two brothers were there and other family and my dad. And my older brother started, he was drunk, but started going on about how he had had a hard life. I wanted to smash him in the face with a bottle. I was just like, and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't say anything because obviously nobody else knows about what happened. And he's not had a hard life. Like nothing has happened to him. How dare you sit there and say you've had a tough time of it? You've not. Hmm. Who knows what happened? Does your husband know what happened? Yes, he knows. But you've never really talked to anybody about it? No. No. I don't even... I'm cross with myself because I should have just said something at the time. You know, my parents are both decent people. Be very careful. Don't do what a lot of adults do when they reflect back on the abuse they suffered when they were children is as an adult now, tell yourself what you should have done. Of course, now as an adult, of course you think, I should have said something. You were a child in a home that doesn't sound emotionally very safe, a school that didn't feel safe, you were being bullied, struggling with epilepsy. I can completely see why you didn't say anything. I think given everything else you're carrying with this experience, I give you permission not to be cross with yourself. I feel this switch that you say gets flicked when you're with the kids. It's a bit like what you felt when you were in front of your brother going on about his life and you, what did you say? I wanted to smash a bottle in his face. I I I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. But you're describing an intense feeling of rage. And then along comes Sarah, your beautiful daughter, and life is now your life on your terms. And then she isn't the baby that you want her to be. And that's not a criticism of you because who wants to have a baby that doesn't settle and doesn't feed and is exhausted? But I think for you, it's an even bigger issue of, again, even my own child takes away my sense of feeling in control. And I think every time your kids are naughty, it absolutely freaks you out. It absolutely does. I mean, after she stole that thing, I just... Furious with her. And as it was where we parked the car, I had to walk past the magistrate's court and I just stood her in front of the court and I said, that's where you're going to end up if you carry on like that. And I So said, your no fear, your fear about her future. Yeah. And I said to her, I'm telling you now, if I catch you or hear about you stealing anything in the future, I will take you to the police station. I will not have a thief in my house. Your response is right in the sense that you want her to learn not to steal, 100%. But your response to me seems excessive and driven by your catastrophic futuring that she's going to be 
15 pregnant drinking alcohol and nicking from shops i, I just have I a know, sense absolutely I, i'm to be honest since she was about six not in front of her but i've said to my mum you know she will be pregnant at 15 just to spite me how old was she when you said that about six i mean if you're seeing a f- pregnant 15 year old when you're looking at your six-year-old you've you're kind of really sort of galloping ahead with her mm. i wonder whether given that mummy can really lose it sometimes either there's a level of desensitisation to what you're trying to tell her because, oh, mummy's shouting again or getting Mm. cross again. I wonder whether there is a skill that she has in arguing and being defiant because you argue with her, so you're kind of enabling her to learn. Mm. There's something about your emotional reaction to her from the minute she arrived here that has got in the way of you being a more relaxed mother, being assertive, setting boundaries, but also enabling your child to learn. I I just feel like she panics you. She really panics you. Definitely. Why don't you stop shouting? I've tried and tried and tried saying, right, you know, I will ask once in a calm voice for you to do something. If it doesn't happen, I will ask a second time in a firm voice and then there will be consequences. And it's just, I may as well talk to the wall. But then you do the consequences. Yeah, and then they rage about them. Fine. Okay. They're children. Yeah. I'm the bad guy, again. I hear that he's the most wonderful husband in the world and he's the most laid-back man, but does he need to step up a bit? Are you bad cop? Is he good cop? Probably. Does he set boundaries and consequences? It's always me that they'll call... But maybe that's a scenario you unwittingly have set up because you do like to be in control. Yeah, possibly. And if your husband was to step in and do things, would you possibly point out to him where it wasn't the right way to do it? Perhaps I'm creating a situation where I'm, I'm the one putting those consequences into play more often. It would be worth you and he talking about it just so that you get a sense of whether the children get a sense of equity. How is she at school? Is she this badly behaved at school? No, they think she's wonderful. At the end of last term, we had a call from the headmistress to say she'd been upsetting another girl. But it turned out she was kind of pointing out to her where she thought she'd gone wrong, basically sticking her nose in where it wasn't wanted. And then that was making this girl feel bad, quite understandably. And I said, what's it got to do with you? Leave her alone. So you told her off? Well, yeah, because I got a call from the headmistress. I'm just wondering when you talk to her about things, when you have a discussion and try and understand why she does things. She gets very defensive about it. Probably because she gets told off quite a lot. Well, she should behave better then. (laughs) You know. Now I feel like you're telling me. I'm not. I'm just, it's a vicious, we just go around in this circle. Fundamentally, she's good at school. Yeah. It feels to me that your daughter has the capacity to emotionally regulate But context will determine whether she does or she doesn't. So when she's in an environment where the boundaries and consequences are clear, there's not a lot of emotional shouting around her, she chooses to stick with the rules. So the question is, what's different? What is she getting at school that she isn't getting at home? Because school is where it sounds like she can be the best version of herself. She is a sweet, smart girl. You know, if we're in town and there's, you know, a homeless person on the... She'll be the first to go, oh, I'm going to give them some of my pocket money. I'll, you know, I could give them half my Twix or whatever it might be. She is... She she's is a kind a, she's little a girl. She's a kind girl. It's difficult for you to accept that 
as a child, she's going to do things that are uncomfortable or inappropriate. She's going to make mistakes. And I think your reactions then mean it's difficult for her to learn not to do anything other than push back. Yeah. But I do, I find it difficult to apply a consequence and then get shouting and and not react to that. And that probably does go back to before. Um, why? Tell me why. You're absolutely right. Because I didn't fight back, did I? No. That's absolutely right. And that's, you know, and this is why I came, because I know it's not right, but I don't know how to fix it. I feel like you're doing a lot right. I just think you spend your whole time looking at what's going wrong, because it's the only way you can feel safe. I shouldn't be projecting my frustration and anger onto them. But you're human. But if you know it and you can see it, then we can work out how you can find a different way. I hear about a 10-year-old girl who tries hard at school, works hard at school, is bright, does well, is happy, is fearless, has friends, can be nosy and bossy, who can stand her ground, sometimes really unhelpfully, with her mother, who she's quite like, who will see people who are more vulnerable than her and even at the age of 10 will say, Mummy, I think I want them to have some of my pocket money or Mummy, I think maybe they can have half of my chocolate bar. Who does impulsive daredevil things like take a little thing from a shop. She sounds like a pretty cool 10-year-old to me who gets some things wrong but seems to be developmentally getting an awful lot of things right. I suspect what's quite difficult for her is that she might sometimes feel that she's letting her mother down and she's not good enough for her mum. Okay, are you hearing anything I'm saying? I'm wondering if I'm saying anything helpful. I wonder what you're picking up. You've, you've reaffirmed what I already knew, which was that it's coming from me and that my reactions are not helpful. I think that you do risk creating a daughter who will be incredibly rebellious because you give her no room to make a mistake. And my sense is what she gets from you are high levels of emotionality. And that isn't because you're a bad mother. That's because in yourself, you're still a broken child. You need to be able to let go of this idea of perfect. You need to accept the concept of being good enough. And you have to find some time for yourself. And in that time, I think you need somebody who can be with you while you talk through what sounds to me like a really challenging childhood. That feels like going back, though. But sometimes the only way we can move forward is just to go back a bit. There are things that you are raging about that you've never had the opportunity to really express. And you have coped through life by keeping going. But actually, the reality is life isn't always like that. And when life isn't like that, I think it absolutely throws you. Yeah, it feels devastating. Let's have a break. Okay. 
And then let's have a think about something that we can do in the second part of today. So maybe what I could do is just have a quick glance over the actual strategies, the things that you and your husband do around behaviour. And maybe I can just help you look at it and tweak it a bit. So you can think about how you parent in a way that feels more pragmatic and long game rather than emotional and fraught with anxiety. Yeah. What I'd also like you to do, if you can, if you can bear it, just jot down what needs to be heard in order for you to be able to leave it where it belongs. So that when your daughter comes home late from a party, pissed at 15, you're not going to have a breakdown. What is going to enable you to feel stronger as a containing mother? Make a plan. We love a plan. We love a plan that we could crack on with. All right. (laughs) It feels to me like you have two buckets, if you will, that need to be unpacked and given a nice rinse. Uh, One is what happened to her when she was a little girl which I th- think you alluded, I might be wrong, to the fact that she needs to go and get some professional help with that. There's so much there. She needs someone really kind, well-trained, working from a trauma-informed basis, you know, as a therapist, who can just provide the space and the support and the understanding f- for her to process really challenging issues in her childhood. Exactly. So that's one. And then the other one, which I am also fascinated by, is whether maybe you would look at, because I've seen you do it before, and goodness knows you've done it for me, the day-to-day life of Julie's household and how that's working and why her expectations are never met. It really touched me. She was really crying when she said, just on Mother's Day and my birthday... All I want is for us to get on. Mm. And I remember you saying to me, because my daughter went through a phase of, as you'll remember, only wearing electric pink and crying if I suggested Heather Grey or, God forbid, Biscuit. And you went, (laughs) Claude, pick your battles. So she walked around in fluorescent pink for a good... Cindy Lauper for years. Because she feels to me at home, when she describes it, like a policeman who nobody is listening to. What do you think about that bucket? Yeah, I think something practical around how to just take a breath. Yeah. Maybe her husband steps up and, you know, he manages things and does it in his own way and that's all fine. I think for Julie it's about giving herself permission to not have to try so hard for everything to be perfect and then finding that it would be a lot better. Yeah. I can't wait to see what she's written down. Okay. I love your tasks. Thank you. (laughs) I will get Julie in. How did you feel about our chat? I get cross with myself that I'm allowing, I think probably primarily the stuff from around when I was 10 or 11, to just impact what's happening now instead of just going, yeah, do you know what, that was shit, but I won't give it any more power than it has already taken. Well, maybe today is the beginning of that process. That's the trouble, you hold it in for so long. You've held it in for so long. And oh my gosh, if you don't deserve the space to do this, 
I don't know who does. I think that's the hard bit for me. I know that none none of what happened was my fault. But knowing that and feeling differently about it are two different things. Yeah, because we've got the rational part of our brain that can kind of understand things that are sort of you know, more cognitively at a sort of thoughtful, pragmatic level. And you are, you're very smart and you are, you're a problem solver. You think things through. So I know you know it, but the emotion that has come with it shows that that's the bit that you just need some space for. You've never been given permission to go, um, hello, can anyone notice what I need? And I think your need as a mother is, and I understand this as a mother myself, for your children to just not do your head in every day. Yeah. We need to find a way for you to just enjoy this more. Yeah. Even the crappy times. Yeah. I need to I need to care a bit less, I think. It's okay if you set a boundary and a consequence and they get upset. It would be weird if they didn't, PS. But it's so interesting as well because actually children do crave structure and routine and boundaries. So children will say, Oh, I wish it was just, yeah, Minecraft and snacks. But actually what we find in terms of behavioural and psychological outcomes for those children is they are much more unhappy than children who have kind of certainty, structure, routine, clarity around the boundaries, around the consequences. And that's why children often are the best version of themselves at school, because that's what they get at school. Mm. And I think that's what you try to provide at home. And you do it really well, except for the fact that you bring too much emotion to it. So that's what we've got to try and work yeah. out. In the break, I was just writing down, you know, what do I actually want? And the number one on the list was I just want a happier home. Less conflict. And that mistakes were okay. So do you know the best way to have less conflict? No. <laughs> when you can feel the frustration rising take a breath and walk away. Settle the anxiety, think it through and then decide what you want to do about it. Yeah. I think part of the message I want you to take from today is I think everybody could do a bit less. I think you could just mess about with the kids and play and have a laugh. Yeah. What practically are you doing now and how can I help you just shift it and change it a little bit and, and yeah. just find a different rhythm to how you and your husband parent, which doesn't feel so frenetic and allows your children just to kind of learn. Yeah. When I was reflecting on it, what occurred to me was it's quite uh, ad hoc and mood dependent. Okay. So is it fair to say, therefore, there isn't something that feels consistent? So there's a clear message that, you know, I will ask you once, You'll ask, be asked a second time, Verily, if it doesn't happen, there will be a consequence. But the level of consequence can vary. So to give you an example, so if they're on an iPad, if they don't come off when they're asked to, they'll typically lose it for the following day. But then if actually it's a day when they've been poking each other, prodding each other, and I've had it up to here, before I've really thought it through, the consequence is out of my mouth and it's you've lost it for the rest of the week. And of course, once you've said it, you can't then really back out of it because that's... But also, your... you've kind of shot yourself in the foot because what about tomorrow when they're doing something? What are you going to do? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's absolutely. about just being clearer. You're saying, I'm going to ask you once nicely, then I'm going to ask you once firmly. And then if there's no joy on that one, there will be a consequence. Yeah. I think that's great. But what you haven't really got clear for yourself 
between you and your husband and definitely not for the children is a consistency amongst those consequential outcomes yeah so that's what we yeah because if you're properly angry you'll cancel christmas my son was throwing this huge tantrum and it has this thing where he says he wants something and then you know so he might say oh i want a cuddle mummy and i go okay come on then let's sit on the sofa and have a cuddle and then he'll just run off and i'm like oh i thought you wanted to cuddle nope and the second i get up to go he'll roll about on the floor again but i wanted a cuddle okay so let's just do a quick bit of behavioral psychology training We'll look at operant conditioning. What it describes is the following. The response that follows the behaviour will determine whether the behaviour continues and is strengthened or extinguishes. If we look at that example you just gave me with your son and his Oscar-winning performance, how much attention did you give him? He had undivided attention. I've taken it and I've escalated it. Mm. And Um. you've also given him so much negative attention following it that perversely you've reinforced the behaviour and made it more likely to happen again. What would you advise you to do differently? Offer it twice at most and then say, well, it's it's off the table now. Done. We're not talking about it anymore. 100%. What stops you drawing a line? Because now I think he's learned to do it primarily with cuddles and I find it really hard to deny my child cuddles. Never once when I was a child did my parents say that they loved me. One of the things you say to yourself is, you know, I've never do that to my children, you know. When I went to university, my dad stood on the doorstep of the hall's residence and shook my hand. Wow. I guess maybe my fairly bright seven-year-old son has twigged that actually... If I go, if I push that button... If I push the cuddle button... I've got her. I've got her. And I'm getting really angry and, you know, I'll say to him, why, you know, why you don't need to do this? So you're over-talking to him. Again, yeah. loads of attention. You do over-talk to your children, give them tons and tons of attention. Okay, so here you've explained how, again, our oh, thanks to lovely Claudia, the bucket two stuff that we're looking at now, which is the behaviour and how you manage the behaviour, in that scenario you gave me with the cuddles, is impacted on by the bucket one stuff. Mm. My childhood not being shown enough love, not being shown enough affection, Okay, so you can see how it's so important to keep those buckets really separate. Do you want your son to learn that in close relationships with people, he can demand a cuddle in whatever way he wants and he should expect it should just be given to him? No. Exactly. He's not learning anything. So love is also tough love. Tough love isn't shaking your child's hand or ignoring the fact that they're clearly distressed and things are clearly going on, but I'm too busy in my own world of hurt and pain with my spouse and I just can't be bothered to look at what my children might need. Tough love is, for me to be the best parent for you, I need to help you learn how to give and receive love. And in the same way, if he slapped you around the face and said, give me a cuddle now, you wouldn't cuddle him because you'd think, I don't want my child to think that's what you do and end up slapping his partners. No. This is where you need tough love. Okay, darling, we've said once, mummy's here for a cuddle. Here's the last time, mummy's here, come and have a cuddle. Otherwise, mummy's going to have to go. He doesn't, he faffs around. You then get up and leave. Yeah. What would then happen? 
he would rage and rage and rage because he would be expecting us to And how does that make you feel? Like you're the worst mother in the world yeah. and you're not giving your child the love he's wanting and you're letting him down. Yes. Isn't there something quite important for us all to learn that we can't always get our needs met when we expect and demand it? You struggle to say no and you struggle when they're badly behaved children because somehow you feel like it's an indication that you're just not good enough as their mother. Yeah. There's buttons that they I, they've obviously then they can press. And that's bucket one again, isn't yeah. it? It's not you have to go back there and relive it in some awful way. I think it's just, it's really just for you to kind of sort your buckets out. And as yeah. you say, be able to put down bucket one when you're carrying bucket two, which is the stuff to do with your kids. Yeah. You're good with the... I'm only going to ask you twice and then there's a consequence. Yeah. You're not good with the clarity around the consequence. No, and I feel like with all this kind of bubbling frustration in the house, there's been more kind of lashing out and prodding each other, scratching, and I feel like there should be a different consequence for that. Well, one way you can think about this, and this is often also with you know slightly older kids who've got their own phones and stuff, is you kind of decide as parents how much time they've got every day on their iPad or... Yeah. Basically, everybody wakes up in the morning with a full deck of cards in their hand. Okay, so they get in the day, during the week, I don't know, 30 minutes of iPad time, and they've also got an hour of TV in the evening or whatever, stuff that they enjoy, yeah? Yeah. And then you work on this only going to ask or tell twice, and then there's a consequence. And then you would take their iPad time and you would split it into thirds so you would have 30 minutes 20 minutes 10 minutes nothing yeah and then you say to the children okay these are the rules if we hit punch poke that's a rule broken and you know you decide what your rules are yeah I'd basically think about rules at school because that's what kids know yeah and those are rules for life social skills self-regulation which they abide by at school of course they do because there is consistency and no emotion Basically, every time a rule is broken, you put a sad face in the top 10 minutes slot of the 30 minutes. So they've now gone from 30 minutes to 20 minutes of iPad time. And I do it visually so they can see it because schools also do that. They're very good at having little charts and things so kids can kind of see where they're doing. And it doesn't matter how the day ends. The next day we start again with a full deck of cards. Yeah. Because so, otherwise I've created a situation where they've nothing to lose in the end. And they've also got nothing to try for. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also what you want to look at is thinking about something called golden time. This isn't just about what you lose, it's about what you gain. So you'd say, okay, so here's a list of the five things we want you to do every day. Teeth, bed, da-da-da-da. But also you have the opportunity to earn extra if you bring your plate and you know you're earning towards golden time each marble is a minute so if you do 20 lovely things in the day you get 20 minutes of golden time and you can choose what you want to do yeah so if sarah says to you mommy please can you paint my fingernails yeah absolutely it's not telly it's not ipad no it's just their time with you and they can be in charge yeah 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 that's perfect and that's staying up a bit later yeah i think this will enable us to give the kids more control mm-hmm. over their behaviour. Because I think at the moment I'm almost inadvertently creating a situation mm-hmm. where they can't win. You, know? you totally are. The other thing I would say is 
when you do this initially, they are going to push back hard and scream and shout, I'm not... My advice to you is don't go straight into, well, that's a second sad face. So you, Because literally within 10 seconds, they'll have yeah. wiped out yeah. the iPad for the day and you've basically only got to 10 past nine in the morning. Yeah. I would just walk away. Yeah. You know, they can go to their room or you can go to your room and shut the door and say, uh, you know, when it's quiet, mummy will come out. Yeah. And remain calm because yeah. you want to role model to them what it is you're trying to help them learn to do. Yeah. Remember, you're the adult, they're the kid. Yeah. You have a nicely well-developed prefrontal cortex that can think strategic long game. You know what operant conditioning is. Yeah. You know what your buttons are. You know that they're only kids. Lucky your kids have the space to be that. You didn't. No. You had to be the good girl. You've given your children space to be children. Good for you, I would say. Stay calm. Yeah. I'd like you to start looking at some mindfulness. There's a great app called Headspace. Yeah. I'd love you to practice it twice a day. When you feel the flames kind of explode in your stomach, you take a breath. You don't have to react straight away. Children really struggle with parents who are indifferent. Okay, if you want to be like that, well, I'm just going to leave you. They're going to go, what? That's going to be really, really much more effective. I'd like you to go for a run every day because I know you love it. I think you need a little bit more endorphins there. Okay. I'd like your husband to put the kids to bed two or three times a week so you can go and hang out with your girlfriends. I'd like you to give yourself a bit of a break and enjoy your time. I want them to see their mummy happy. And I've made you cry again, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> my just realise they don't see me happy a lot. Children know how to be happy yeah. when they're around people who know how to be happy. Children know how to express emotion when they're around people who know how to express emotion. Children know how to resolve issues with conflict when they see that happen around them. Children know how to articulate anger when they get a role model who can be calm and focused and assertive with them when their behaviour is spiralling out of control. Yeah. But the fundamental takeout for me comes with the answer to this question, which is in order to really look after our children well, who is the most important that we have to look after? I know the answer is myself, but that doesn't feel natural to me at the moment. Well, that's the point. I need you to have a coffee with a good friend who you can talk to after today. I need them to say, yeah, you know what, Julie, you do need to slow down. I need you to find that friend who can really be your running mate. Okay. And I have no doubt that things will start to change because I believe today you've released something and I feel really privileged that you have chosen that to be with me. So I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. How are you feeling? Tired. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> but lighter. I. You look lighter. Thank you. It's none of my business, but the cuddle game ends okay. today. That's being chucked away. What have you learned from your chat? I've learned that I don't have to be responsible for everything. It's not all on my shoulders. I've had confirmed what I already knew, which was that my behaviour wasn't helpful to us as a family. It's not We're just not down my... on you. No, no, I know, but it's just that, that I 
need to give myself some time if I'm going to turn things around because at the moment I'm getting up every day and the same thing's happening yeah. and I'm expecting a different outcome, which is just not realistic. I like Tan's system, don't yeah. you? No, I do like that and I think the kids will feel calmer with that because it's less of a Russian roulette of what's the consequence going to be But now? we've all done it. I've often done, you know, one day they don't take their plate over and I go, don't worry, baby, I'll do it. And the next day, if I'm harassed and they don't take it over, I go, you're spoiled children, that's it. The weekend we were going to go to the zoo and have lunch out. <laughs> that is cancelled. <laughs> you know, out of, and then, what? Pardon? Uh, OK, I'll take my plate over. Yeah. It's hard for them, I guess. Yeah. And bucket A is going to be looked after with a brilliant professional. Yeah, it's almost permission because I think, you know, we're told as women, you can have it all. And actually bloody hard it is hard a you do have it all you have a husband you love and you have two magnificent children who are quite willful which is good yeah. because they have an opinion and i'd like to talk to you about the p word which i have real problems with which okay. is perfect yes because it never is no and my eldest two used to fight like tom and jerry you know, and I dreamt that we would all read Dickens and then do a puzzle and my husband would make an award-winning moussaka. He made one once. My stomach still turns when I think about it. It was both raw and burnt. It's like he broke science. That's all I can tell you, Julie. So don't worry about perfect. Yeah, taking off those rose-tinted spectacles and just saying, well, it, this is what it is and be kind to each other along the way. Yeah, and you just be lovely to you. Buy the nicest piece of cake you can find at the station <laughs> and smother it on your chest. I will. Lick it off. Odd looks up, maybe, but still. It's fine. Claude and Tan told you to do it. <laughs> it's on the list of things to do. Exactly. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. I feel like she left with tools, and that's important, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's important when, um, when, when I'm working with someone who I can see has been so brave and honest and has kind of got to a part of themselves that feels very vulnerable and you know does feel very out of control because that's how she had felt for so much of her childhood I think it, it's important sort of strategically as as a therapist to also sort of give some structure and framework yes. I think it's so important to think about how people leave you um, and I don't see my job as just dismantling people and leaving them in a sort of state of feeling out of control and, and vulnerable. I think plans are helpful because I think what they do is they just enable people to believe there is a solution, there's something yes. that can be done, and that's empowerment. It's my job to hear what people are asking for as much as suggest things to them that maybe they hadn't recognised themselves. And people like Julie I really admire because... You know, she's very courageously now going to look at things that she's probably wanted to push away for many years. And she's doing it because she doesn't want them to impact on her relationship with her children. And if that doesn't make her a good mum, I kind of don't know what does. Yeah. And I hope she hears you and I say that because I, I look forward to the day when she begins to believe that herself. Me too. Thanks, Tom. It's all right, Claude. Should we have a little snuggle and a nap? A nap. Okay. Can't snuggle. Got it. Corona. But we'll nap. Okay. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any more. Also, comment and rate us if you can, and obviously tell everyone you know to listen if you'd like.
If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please see our programme notes for information about further support and advice. And if you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email briefly describing your issue to how at somethingelse.com. That's how at somethingelse.com without the G. Next time we meet Trudy. I wouldn't have got involved. It's not my place to get involved in his marriage at all. And looking back now, I don't know why I did. This podcast was made by the team at Something Else. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer is Grace Laker. The producer is Selena Ream. And the executive producer is Chris Skinner, with additional production from Steve Ackerman. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>